we come to the last sermon in this short little book. Four sermons out of the book of Haggai. And what a powerful book it has been. This prophet in the Old Testament who had a word from the Lord and he came to the people. Four sermons. And if we recall what he was talking about, he touched on wrong priorities which led into procrastination. This happens so many times and with so many people. That word procrastination. We call it, I'll get to it. Isn't it right? I'll get to it. I'll get around it. I'll get around to it. Procrastination. And he addressed these people for 16 years. The foundation of the temple was ready, but nobody came and did the work. They built their own paneled houses, looked after themselves, but neglected God. And there is a danger in neglecting God. Then he warned them in a second sermon. He says, the problem with you people is you are looking back and not forward. You're looking too much back. You are living in the past. And there's so much unforgiveness in your life that you can't move forward. It is paralyzing you. So many people even today are living in the past. They don't want to move forward. And God has made today. This is what the song says. This is the day that we will serve the Lord. Today, he says, make a decision for Christ. So looking back and not looking forward. And you remember we have to have both your hands on the plow as we work in the acre of God. And then... Last week we touched on a very serious message of unconfessed sin. You remember when he said if you've got holy bread in your pocket and you go around and you touch everything else, does it make it holy? No. But the defiled things makes when he touches other things, it defiles them. And now on the very same day, he comes with his fourth and his last sermon. And we're going to have a look at that. Not a long sermon. Out of the four sermons, this is the shortest one. But this is a word of encouragement. And you and I need a word of encouragement. Who needs a word of encouragement? Man, in this world we need that. We need to know that everything is going to be okay for the day of tomorrow. That's what we're living in. We're living in hope for tomorrow. But we do the best of today. So many people are wasting so much energy and time worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow. Where does the Bible say in Matthew? He says tomorrow has got enough to worry about its own things. And then people sit there and they go, oh, and they're having these conversations already in their heads of what's going to happen tomorrow. I remember that. I've been there as well. You're sitting there the whole Sunday and you go, oh, I need to see the boss tomorrow and he's going to say this and then I'm going to say that and he's going to then say this and then I'm going to say that and he's going to say that and we have the whole script and the next day you walk in with the, with the boss and he says totally something different and you feel so relieved. <laughs> and why have you wasted that whole day of worrying about tomorrow? Let it take care of itself. Now, we're not reckless. That's not what he preached. That's not recklessness. You see so many people, young people these days, throwing stuff into their bodies. That's recklessness. And then it catches up with them when they're older. Not old, older. It catches up with them. But we live for today. 
This is the day that the Lord has made. And if you live by that, day by day in each passing moment, He'll be there for you. And now let's go and continue and finish this book of this morning. In Haggai chapter 2 verse 20, And again the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, the same day. He had the same day that he had the sermon about unconfessed sin, he now the word came again to him. In verse 21 he says, Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah. It's important for you to know that this is the man in charge. This is the leader of the nation at that point in time. Speak to him, the governor. What do you need to say to him? He says, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horses and their riders shall come down, everyone by the sword of his brother. Somebody needs to take this and go to all of those Gentile nations around Israel and read it to them. Because this tells me God is in control. He says there in verse 23, And in that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sethiel, says the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I've chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. Short sermon, isn't it? There's two main points in this sermon that we're going to look at in a moment. Let's thank the Lord for His Word. Heavenly Father, I thank You for the public reading of Your Word. And though I say nothing now and get in my car and go home, Lord, I'm satisfied that Your Word has come out. For the Bible says it will not go out and come back void, but it will accomplish every single thing that it's purposed for. The Bible also declares about the Word that it's living, it's powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It will cut between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. And this part, Lord, it is the discerner of the heart. And I pray this morning, Lord, that through Your Word, You discern every person in this place and everybody will hear my voice going forward to discern everyone's heart with Your Word this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk to you this morning about help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Who knows what unbelief is? Everybody should have their hands up. Who's been through unbelief? Everybody should put their hands up. Oh, don't you stand there and say, oh, no, I'm this man who's always got faith in you. No, no, there comes times in your life when your faith will be shaken and if it's not shaken, then you are just sitting in the safe harbor of protection. You know my little story about the sailboat? When you build that sailboat, you put all the effort into the sailboat. You know, one will know he builds canoes. It takes a lot of time and effort and good perfection to get it right. And then you put the mast up and you put the ropes in you, buy the best ropes. What do you do with a sailboat? What is the purpose of a sailboat? To sit in a harbor? No, the purpose of a sailboat is you push it out into the open ocean. Why? Because you want to test it. 
It's when you're out there in the wind and you look up into the sails and the sails is full of wind. It stands bulged by the wind and you could hear the sound pulling on the ropes, that cracking sound on the ropes. And you could see the mast standing there like a pillar. It's then that you know that you've built something that is strong enough that will last in the strongest winds. So it is with our faith. Why have faith when it's never tested? This is what happens. We go through tests in life when our faith has been tested. And this is the message today. This is what I believe is the fourth message, the fourth sermon that Haggai preaches to that people, to the nation, to the king, to the governor. And remember what I said before. The Bible has got a threefold application. It has got a local application. So in other words, there was a man by the name of Zerubbabel, there was a man by the name of Haggai, and the word came to Haggai, and he gave the word to Zerubbabel back in the day. That was a man, that was a message for him. But there's also a prophetic application. What does that mean? That means that the word of Haggai is, is applicable for us today in this church. It is for the future. And so many people don't preach out of the Old Testament anymore. They say, no, that's the old stuff. We don't go there. But if you find in the Old Testament, you will find Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Every book you will find Jesus. It is still applicable. And then the third application, it is a personal application. So in other words, this word today is for you personally who sits here. Yes, it's for the church, but it's for you also. So be encouraged by what he preaches to him. So we're going to look at help my unbelief. Let's look at this king or this man, this governor. The sermon was directed to Zerubbabel. Why? Because the circumstances was challenging his faith. Think about this. He's got a remnant of Jews who went back to the land. They were instructed to go and build the walls. While they were building the walls, they were attacked by other people. I see this picture in my mind of somebody working with a tool on the wall to build the wall and with a weapon in the other hand to protect themselves. And let it be known, you see it even today, that nation Israel there, everybody wants to chase them into the sea and get rid of them. So in a way, they're in a, still in the same situation than Zerubbabel's day. He had all of these strong nations, these great empires that surrounded them. So at any minute, at any time, these nations can attack them and wipe them out. It could happen. It can happen today. It can happen if you think about your life with you. If you are persecuted on every day in every corner from these things. So here is Zerubbabel. Here is the governor. They are rebuilding the temple. They got off all of these words from the Lord. He's talking to them. And now they are going up onto the mountain. They get the wood. They come down. They start building it. But circumstances is always there. And he challenges his faith. He challenged it. They were a small remnant. And you know what? Circumstances in our lives has a way of discouraging us. And it develops fear. Is that right? A lot of the circumstances that you can think of. It will challenge you. And what does it do? 
When he challenges you, it makes you discouraged. That's what the enemy wants to do. That's what Lucifer wants to do. He wants to discourage the child of God. Why? Because he develops fear for the day of tomorrow. Same. Same with this man, the Zerubbabel. And you know what? He had to lead these people through that. Now let's think about us today. We're in a similar situation from time to time. How? Because circumstances, who's sitting in this place who don't have circumstances? I want to say to you, you are a very, very lucky man. Everybody's got circumstances. Things pressing down upon you. Sometimes you turn up at work and somebody else got out of the bed with the wrong foot and they're just having a snap at you. And what happens? It builds up a resistance and now there's a little bit of talking going around and you're in a circumstance. And what happens? You didn't ask for that. There's so many things that happens with us. And sometimes it feels that you are just sinking in your troubles. Isn't that how it feels sometimes? Just draining down into those troubles. And if you look around, I mean, today they are saying that there could be a financial crisis upon the horizon. You've heard what they said about Virgin. Virgin didn't make money. Virgin Airlines, they're going to put down something like 700 jobs. What if you were one of those employees in Virgin? What are you going to do? This is circumstances. You didn't choose that, but it came upon you. So no doubt, as a child of God, it will challenge you. What about your health? There you were just going and everything was fine. You wake up in the morning, you stand in front of the mirror and you see a small little spot there on your face and you go, what is that? You go and see the doctor and he says it's cancer. Can you see how things change quickly? Circumstances. And he challenges us as well. The same that he challenged Zerubbabel back in the day. And you see... We are also a small part in the world as Christians, aren't we? How are we persecuted these days? All of these strange things that comes in. And who is the enemy of the world? Today the enemy of the world is Christians. It's what we stand for. It's our morals that we stand for. That's been attacked. And this man had the same thing. So the circumstances was challenging his faith. As circumstances will challenge our faith. Now I want to take you to another passage this morning of a man who was in a similar circumstance. In Mark chapter 9 verse 14. And by the way, I believe after I'm finished with this, we will start with the book of Mark. I I believe the next uh, gospel that I'm going to preach through line by line is the gospel of Mark. So uh, we might start the week after next week. We'll start with the book of Mark. That's going to be a powerful book, by the way. It's an action-packed gospel, the book of Mark. So here we find it, Mark chapter 9, verse 14. He says, And when he came to his disciples, to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them, and scribes disputing with them. And immediately, you'll see in the book of Mark, this word used more than any other book. Immediately. It sounds to me like a young man writing it. Not an older man, a young man. He goes, immediately when they saw him, Jesus, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, 
What are you discussing with them? In other words, there's this group here, they are scribes, there's the disciples, and they were disputing. And Jesus comes down and he asks the scribes, he says, what are you discussing with these men? So the question is, what is scribes? The Bible calls them out. Scribes could interpret and regulate Jewish law. So they look at the scriptures and they interpreted it. But they did not interfere or assume any role in guidance of the people. And here they are criticizing the disciples. Remember, this is just after the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus went up on the mountain with Peter, and what happened? He left the disciples down, down on the mountain. And while he's there, and, and while this happens on the mountain of transfiguration, down there, the scribes came to the disciples, and there was a, a little bit of a dispute going on. What was this dispute about? We will see that it was about casting out demon spirits. And I can tell you a lot of things that I think the scribes would tell them. Because this young boy has got a spirit in him that needed to be cast out. But they would have come and said, no, 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 no. The reason why he is like this is because all of the sin that his parents did and his parents' parents did and maybe sin that happened in their lives. Now let's read on. In Mark 9, 17, it says, Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. You see? He couldn't talk, a mute spirit. And whether it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams in the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out. But they could not. They could not cast it out. And this is what I believe was this commotion going on with the scribes. Because the scribes were teasing them. Say, cast it out. No, no, no. You guys have got this belief about this. But what if he sinned? You see? And he, this is Jesus, answered him and he said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And what we see here is one of the most difficult spirits, what they believe to cast out, is a mute spirit. It was difficult because the scribes would have believed that if you cast out a demon spirit, you need to know the name of that spirit. You see what they believe in? Jesus comes and he cuts right through all of that nonsense. Where the spirit of God is, there's no place for evil spirit. And here he comes. And it's a mute spirit. It's a, and there's this dispute going on. And he says to them, he says, faithless generation. He talks to the scribes. He talks to his disciples, and he talks to the father of this boy. Faithless generation. Let me just tell you this morning, we are living in a faithless generation. We don't live in a, in a generation of belief anymore. And the problem is, and the danger is, is how young children grow up faithless without faith. A lot of our young children don't even believe that there is a God anymore. Why? Because they get all of these different gods thrown at them. And you know what? It is too difficult. It's too difficult to believe in either Allah or Elohim or Buddha 
or Hare Krishna. All of this stuff has been thrown at them. And the easiest thing for young people today to do is to say, it's too difficult, I'm an agnostic. I don't believe in any. There is no more Bibles in homes. No more. There's no more Bibles reading. And this is taking away the faith. You can't now these days to go to young people and talk about the Bible. They say, what is that? You read the passage that I'm just reading to you now, and they wouldn't even know what you're talking about. He says, oh, you faithless generation. And we'll look into this when we're going to go through the book of Mark. I'm not going to expound it further than that. In Mark 9 verse 20, he says, Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, this is the Spirit, immediately the Spirit convulsed in him, and he fell down on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often as he thrown him both into the fire and into water to destroy him. But, now look at this now. This is the father. But if, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything, help us. And you know what Jesus' response is? He goes down to the father's level and he says to him the following. He says to him, if you can believe, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and saying, and this is what a lot of people say these days. He says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. How true is that? It's not a matter that when you go through the circumstance that you say, I don't believe in, in God anymore, but I don't believe that God is going to be there in that circumstance that I'm in. This is what he's saying. He says, but help my unbelief. Help me in that. He did believe in Jesus' power to deliver his son. After all, he brought the boy to Jesus. So he did believe in that, in that power that Jesus had, but he also recognized his doubts. He says, man, I've been growing up with this boy from me when he was born. I see every single time what happens. I brought him to your disciples. They can't even do anything about it. The scribes is, is, is arguing about this. I believe. I believe you've got the power, but I have my doubt. And this is what a lot of people live in today. They believe, but they do have doubts. Now, this was not a rebellion against the rejection of God's promise this man had. Because Jesus said to him, if only you believe. He says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. So he's not rebelling against Jesus. And he didn't deny the promise. He desired it. He wanted it. He wanted his son to be healed. But you know what? For him it just seems too far to be true. So you know what? If you, unbelief happens to a lot of It happened to this man. It happened to John the Baptist. You remember when John the Baptist was sitting in jail? Here he sits and he had this message. He was the one who proclaimed, there is the Lamb of God. Now he sits in jail, John the Baptist. He, wasn't, he thought that Jesus was going to come and rule like all of the other kings and take over. It didn't happen. Jesus preached the gospel. What did he do? He grabbed one of his disciples and he says, go to Jesus and ask him if he is really the one. Or are we awaiting for another one? Unbelief. It happened to men in the Bible. Abraham, Moses, 
You go right through. So it's not a shame to have unbelief, but it's what you do with your unbelief that matters. You take it to Jesus. In John chapter 11, verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? If you believe, you will see the glory of God. Say, so how do we get to this? How is this part of the Sermon of Haggai? Let's go back. There's two reasons for Zerubbabel to believe. Number one is that God is in control of everything. And this is something that you need to hold on to. God is in control of everything. Listen to the word. He says, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the thrones of the kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in him. So whether Zerubbabel was standing there and worrying about all of these great powers, guess who's in control of those great powers? God is. You have to have faith in that. We look at the world today and we see all of these superpowers coming up and people are feared in their heart when they see what's going on in the Middle East. You know what? God is in control. He's even in control of Donald Trump, whether you like it or not. He placed people in places because he's in control. He's in control of Russia. He's in control of Iran, Iraq. He's in control of every single thing. And if God wants to shake it, you know what's going to happen? He is going to shake it because the Bible says it. And I want to tell you something, dear friends. There is a shaking coming for this world. Everything that will be shaken will be shaken. Even you and your life. And this is what he said to him. He says God is in control. That's the message. So local application, it is for Zerubbabel. Prophetic application, it is for us. The same God who was in control in Zerubbabel's day is in control today. Personal application for you, where you are sitting today, God is in control. It might look as if everything is spinning out, but all you need to do is come to Him and say, Lord, I have trust in you. My circumstances, I surrender to you. And the Bible is so clear about a lot of Scripture verses in, in trusting in Him. Look at this, Isaiah 41.10. He says, fear not. Because what happens if you start thinking God is not in control? You are working so hard to take control. And then what happens? It falls apart. And here He says, fear not, for I am with you. How wonderful is those words. I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is another great word. And you know what we need to do? You need to take your Bible and you need to underline these scriptures. Because when your circumstances come upon you like a flood, that's when you grab these scripture verses and you read them, and you study them, and you live them. I, I used to say to people, and I still do it from time to time, I memorize the Bible. I memorize it. Why? Because sometimes when I preach, Scripture verses just comes up. And you know what? It comes up in the right place. Because the Holy Spirit is in charge. Do you think it's just something God is hammering into my mind? No. How do I do that? Well, sometimes I just take a piece of paper, I write the Scripture verse on one side, and I write the verse on the other side. I put it in my pocket and I go to work. Oh, how wonderful is this? If you want friends, that's the best friend you can have. You know what you do in lunchtime? You walk down, 
and you've got a little piece of paper out and you start talking to God. And you know what you do? You've got this scripture verse written down there. And maybe you had a very difficult morning that morning at work and you walk out and as you walk you go, Lord, how wonderful is it that you say in Isaiah, fear not. And while I was sitting here today and while all these circumstances come and while I think about tomorrow, you know what, Lord? You say in Isaiah, fear not. I'm not going to fear, Lord. I'm going to trust you. This is what I do. This is how I live it out. And then I meditate on it and I have this conversation with God. And you know what? Back in the day, before they had the ear pots and, and you know, the stuff, you know, people would think this guy's going off his blockers because he talks to himself. Now I put the earbuds in, there's no music on them, nobody, they think I'm on the phone, but I'm talking to God. I'm on a phone with God. You know what I do? I walk around and I speak to God, the scriptures back. And I say, Lord, you said, fear not, for I am with you. And you know what? While I walk through the city, I say, Lord, thank you so much that when I'm walking down here now, I know that you are with me. I shouldn't fear. This is how you learn the scriptures. This is how it becomes practical to you. And then you walk on and you say, Be not dismayed, O Lord. This morning when I was sitting there in that meeting and they said this and this and that, I was so dismayed, Lord. But thank you that you know about my circumstances even when I was sitting there. Why? Because you sent me a message and you say, Be not dismayed for I am your God. I belong to you this morning. Oh, how wonderful is that? Can you see how practical the Word of God becomes? You don't have to sit there. It's good to sit there in the morning and read it chapter by chapter. But take one verse out, brother and sister. Walk with that verse the whole day. And I tell you one thing. I'm not asking you this. He will bless you and he will build your faith. I've got a lot of them. Small little pieces in my, in my pockets. Walk around with them. Psalm 46. I might have had this in my pocket that day. And I would have walked down and say, Lord, thank you for Psalm 46 verse 1. What does it say? And I have my piece of paper. God is our refuge and our strength. Oh Lord, I'm feeling so weak today. The body's giving in. I've got this pain in my knee. I've got this pain in my back. But Lord, thank you that you are my strength. You say it right here, Lord. I've got it on my piece of paper and I can walk around with it. And you walk with that and you say, every present help in trouble. Who of you have been in trouble? Come on, tell me in your life. Who's a present help? In the midst of your trouble, what do we do? We fret. Whoa, what's going to happen? We fear. Whoa. All of these things happen to us. Whilst if you have the Word of God, you can turn to Him in that moment and you can say, a very present help in trouble. And this is what I do. I will turn to God and say, Lord, I thank You, though I can't see it now. Though it looks dark. Though I see a brick wall. Though all of these I see with my eyes. I know for a fact, Lord, You're a very present help in my trouble. That's the Word in action. How wonderful is the word. Therefore, we will not fear. Lord, I will not fear today. Even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Why did I put this verse in? Why did I put this particular verse in there? Can somebody uh, spot it? Look at what he said to Zerubbabel. He says, I will do what? Shake the heaven. Now I tell you, if you sit here and the heavens start shaking, man, that's a frightful thing. That's a frightful thing. He says, 
I will overthrow thrones and kingdoms and destroy Gentiles. And you know what he's going to do? This, this is a frightful thing he's going to do. But here in Psalms he says, And though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, and though the earth is removed, what do we know? He's our refuge and our strength. Brothers and sisters, I love the Word of God. We have to live by the Word of God. What about the next one? Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. And by the way, I didn't plan to spend so much time in the verses. I was just going to read them off, Jared. But can you see how when you get stuck in a verse, it becomes life to you? What about the New Testament one? What about Philippians chapter 4 verse 6? Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. How many of you know when you get anxious? Panic attack. How, how many of you know when it's coming on? Before that panic attack grabs you, you know what you do? You take the scripture verse and you, in your pocket, you pull it out, you don't have to remember it. After a while, you, it, it'll stick there. And you go, Lord, I'm not going to be anxious now because you say be anxious for nothing. And start talking it back to God. I'm telling you one thing. This I've done it in my life. And He carries you through. You know, after a while, you don't have to wear that little piece of paper in your pocket because this becomes part of you. This is how it works. This is faith in action. You be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your hearts be made known, your requests be known, known to God. And the peace of God. Oh, what the world is crying out is for peace. And the peace of God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. You know, somebody came once to me and they say, look, we just can't get it. It seems as if troubles don't bring you down. Yes, I get discouraged. I'm not a hypocrite. I'm standing in front of you and say, I get discouraged. I'm living in the same world than you. There's nothing better, but you know what? Although I get discouraged, I've got peace in my heart. Why? Because I've got a scripture verse like this. By prayer and supplication. So the first reason, the first part of the sermon is, God is in control. Will you remember that? In your darkest situation, in your circumstances, just cry out to God and say, Lord, you're in control. You're in control. And believe me, if you fly a lot and you get a little bit of turbulence in the air, you use that a lot. I went through a shaking once and all I could say is, Lord, you're a sovereign God, you're in control. And if the plane went down that day, he's still in control. You see, there's such a notion in the world today that because we're Christians, everything has got to be perfect. Everything is not perfect. Why would he preach a sermon of unbelief to this man? Why? Why John? I've got faith in God, but I've got practical faith in Him, backed by the Word of God. Now, 